Businesses harassed by anti-maskers. It's been really difficult for our staff to deal with those people. With another day of record infections, fears about super spreader events tied to Diwali. Frustrated parents struggle with sports restrictions. We can take them to Whistler to play, but we can't take them across Boundary Road. Pointing out the quirks of the new COVID health order. And storm watchers rejoice as strong winds hit the West Coast. The ocean is unbelievable and the wind is spectacular. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophia's off tonight. It is another record-shattering day of COVID case numbers in our province. BC has recorded 617 new infections, bringing the total to 20,985. Sadly, we've had two more deaths, which means 290 people have now died from the virus in BC. 167 are in hospital, a new all-time high there, and 50 patients are in the ICU. 14,901 people have recovered, leaving us with 5,579 active cases and now more than 12,000 people in isolation. A heartbreaking story to tell you about out of the Fraser Valley tonight, where an Abbotsford mother fighting for her life against COVID-19 has just given birth. Jill McIntosh and her husband Dave were preparing to welcome their second child later this month when she was diagnosed with COVID-19 one week ago. This past Tuesday, Jill was put on a ventilator before doctors performed a C-section to deliver her 35-week-old baby. Jill remains in critical condition on life support, unaware that her premature baby is alive and well and being cared for in the neonatal ICU. It's been really tough. I mean, it's... Yeah, nothing anyone can do. It's such new territory for everybody. Um, I've been lucky to have this little one here to to lean on, and she's leaning on me. We're helping each other through it. We were in quarantine together until we were got our negative results. So uh, I've got a real great family here um, that's supporting me and going to be supporting me through all this when we bring the baby home. Still, a GoFundMe campaign has been launched to help ease the financial stress on the family. As Dave prepares to be a single father to the new baby and other child until Jill is well enough to return home. So we wish them the best. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry recommends all British Columbians wear a mask indoors when physical distancing isn't possible. But small business owners say that isn't enough and they want a health order making masks mandatory. As Aaron MacArthur reports, many are dealing with abuse from customers who argue masks are unnecessary without a provincial mandate. This is going to be a telling pot mess. At Nook in Kits, owner Mike Jeffs is busy prepping what should be a busy Friday night. Online orders and a few diners in the restaurant. Recently, Nook took the step of making masks mandatory. Every time a customer is not at their table, they're expected to wear a face covering. For the most part, customers are complying but not everyone. There's that 2% two, uh, two of flat earthers out there that have, uh, that, have, that have been a bit of a problem. While individual businesses and a few municipalities have implemented mandates, the health officer has refused to make a provincial order, instead relying on the public to do the right thing. It's not our job to interpret what the uh, health authorities are saying. It's our job 
to, to comply. And I, I, I feel that you know, every, every time they make an announcement, there's always a but. And we need to stop that. It's nonsense. It's not just restaurants putting their hands up. The Retail Council of Canada says the lack of clarity is creating unnecessary friction between customers and business owners. The solution is clear, clear communications at a time of a pandemic surrounding the rules of the road. We'd find it easier to manage with a mask order. There seems to be a growing public appetite much. for stronger leadership from the provincial health officer. A petition launched by SFU researcher Scott Lear hopes to convince Dr. Henry there is value in a province-wide mask order. We know from TransLink that uh, the mandate did increase mask use. They did a survey of 31,000 people shortly after, and it was 92% compliance. Even if a provincial order isn't enforceable, people argue it would provide enough of a signal to make a difference in the alarming acceleration of COVID cases. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Contact tracing, of course, has been central to BC's efforts in combating the spread of COVID-19, but the province's COVID tracing teams are facing a growing problem with people not answering when they call. Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with more on this. One in four calls go unanswered, Keith? Yes, and in some health authorities, that is exactly the case. So the, the challenges that come with COVID uh, tracing are, are mounting because we're having so many cases a day. Just staying on top of those numbers is, is a daunting challenge. Fraser Health, for example, has 237 professional contact tracers. They're dealing with more than 23, or sorry, more than 1,200 cases in just the last three days. That's a lot of phone calls to make. But Dr. Victoria Lee, the Fraser Health Authority CEO, says when it comes to phone calls, that's part of the problem. One in four, as you mentioned, Chris, simply aren't answering their phones because there's a stigma attached to COVID-19 in some people's minds. Now, some, about 25% of people were having difficulty reaching, and that can be due to stigma, due to um, fear, and sometimes due to unrecognized number. Um, sometimes it says Fraser Health, sometimes I think your phone can uh, say un unknown number. Uh, so, of course, people can be hesitant to pick up that phone, uh, but we are taking multiple, multiple attempts in some of the uh, cases to contact as well. So some jurisdictions, Chris, have actually given up contact tracing because the numbers are so huge. They simply can't keep on top of it. BC's in the, in the midst, in the process of hiring uh, another 300 or so professional contact tracers, bringing our number to about 800. But if these cases continue to mount, and if our doubling is on 13 days, uh, it's hard to see how we're going to contact trace what could be 1,000 people a day. Huge, huge number. Let's hope we don't yep. get to it, but it's not looking good at the moment. Thanks very much, Keith. Athletes from across the Lower Mainland are now being turned away from their teams, and it's all because of the new public health order, which restricts travel for sports to, from, and between Vancouver Coastal Health and Fraser Health regions. And as Richard Zussman reports, kids who live in one area can't necessarily play in another, even if it's just across the street. This was club basketball a few weeks ago in Metro Vancouver. And this is now. Everybody in the community has been really supportive of, of following the rules. Uh, just need clarity on, uh, you know, exactly how they are interpreted and, and what they're meant to uh, prevent. Under new provincial health orders, indoor games are cancelled. Only physically distanced practices or drills are allowed. The measures came into effect last Saturday. They're in place for two weeks and they could be extended. Another source of frustration, the regional boundaries. This order forbidding athletes from traveling to and from Fraser and Coastal Health for any sport-related activity. 
This includes families living near the Richmond Delta border or the Burnaby-Vancouver border. We can take them to Whistler to play, but we can't take them across Boundary Road. And that, that seems like a very unusual approach to try to stop the spread of something um, around the province. Dr. Bonnie Henry says the measures are necessary because there has been transmission of the virus within contact sports teams. But most importantly, parents weren't following rules, gathering or hanging out together before and after games. Part of the reason that I put the restrictions on travel um, to play sports in different part regions of the province is because that involves often carpooling with groups of people that may or may not be in the same cohort or bubble or, or household. There's also some confusion on what is considered sport. Ski Hills, with Cypress now open, is not considered a sport under the provincial orders, but golf is, so players can't travel from a different health authority to the golf course. So if you're unsure about something, this is the time not to do it. Unsure if you should do something, then stop. And the faster people stop, the faster they can be back on the ice or court playing games together. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And for Sikhs and Hindus, this weekend is one of the most significant dates on the calendar. But Diwali celebrations will have to be scaled back a lot this year, reinforced by a new warning from Fraser Health officials. Sonia Deol is live in Surrey now with more. Sonia, what's the main concern with celebrations set to begin? Well, usually, Chris, uh, Diwali celebrations would attract hundreds of worshippers to come to pray at temples like this one, whether it's Hindu temples or Sikh Gurdwaras. People light a candle. It's a celebration of light. And, and families, um, it's very common. You have friends and relatives over. It's a really joyous get-together. But, of course, with the pandemic and like everything else, that has to be different. And that message even more so important when we learn uh, what public health officials are telling us about how this virus is transmitting and which communities it is hitting especially so. This is uh, Dr. Victoria Lee from Fraser Health. Fraser Health actually has uh, had the biggest proportion of South Asian population in the province and we know that South Asian population is overrepresented in the COVID-19 pandemic in our region. At this time with current public health measures in place what we're at, urging everybody that's living in the Fraser Health region to do is to ensure that you're celebrating Diwali safely this year by only, by sticking to your household I think it's important that we do it safely. And uh, this pandemic is very, very serious. It has taken already very many lives out there. And my message to everyone is that do it at home. Do it within your bubble, which is your close family where you live. With. Those are the people that you live with. MLA for Surrey Newton, Harry Baines, joining the chorus of voices who are urging people in the South Asian community especially to stay home and celebrate within your immediate family uh, this Diwali, which is tomorrow. Uh, I cannot emphasize the importance of that enough. I will be staying home personally as well. The last thing everybody needs right now is for those restrictions to be extended. Uh, back to you. Wishing you a happy Diwali and, of course, Hope it's safe for everyone as well. Thanks very much, Sonia Deal in Surrey for us tonight. Some stark words today from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Canada's chief public health officer about soaring COVID-19 infections across the country. Provinces that resisted broad restrictions are being forced to make changes. But as Sarah McDonald reports, many experts say it's still not enough. 
We've seen this before at the start of the pandemic. On Friday, the Prime Minister reinstating an urgent message to all Canadians. COVID-19 cases are surging to dangerous levels. We all want this to be over, but it's not going to be over for many more months. How bad it gets in the coming months depends on all of us. The federal government's earmarking an additional $1.5 billion in funding for provinces while urging their governments to do more to curb an explosion of cases. The country's top doctor drawing attention to specific struggling provinces, including B.C. Western provinces saw weekly increases in daily hospitalizations ranging from 24% to as high as over 50% compared to last week. Quebec and Ontario saw a lower percent increase, but continue to have the highest numbers of people being treated in hospital for COVID-19 in the country. Ontario reversing course Friday on controversial public health measures, reducing the tiered threshold for regions to qualify under a strict new restriction system. As of Monday, millions will be living under a red alert level. That's just shy of a total lockdown. We're staring down the barrel of another lockdown. And I will not hesitate for a second if we have to go further. That's a move doctors and public health officials are calling for, along with a so-called circuit breaker, a brief but highly restrictive lockdown to regain control. Saskatchewan's health minister saying that province too is now on the verge of overwhelming hospitals as cases rise. I'm not going to sugarcoat the situation. It's not great. And it's beginning worse. It's the same story in every province outside of Atlantic Canada and the territories, with calls growing for some premiers to take a more heavy-handed approach, as the Prime Minister himself pleads with Canadians to help curb a national crisis. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Greater Victoria and parts of Metro Vancouver got a different taste of winter today, with high winds knocking out power to thousands of people on Vancouver Island. Global's Kylie Stanton is live in Victoria with the latest. Kylie, it was another soaker if you were standing too close to the water today. For sure, Chris. I'm here right now down on Dallas Road, and you you might not be able to see behind me, but waves have been crashing into the seawall all day long. Winds started picking up earlier this afternoon, getting to 90 kilometers an hour in some spots. Now, you might think you would want to stay home in this kind of weather, but a lot of people coming down here to storm watch and getting quite soaked in the process. Environment Canada does say that they expect it to let up overnight tonight. In the meantime, though, they're urging residents to batten down the hatches, if you will, and secure their properties because things could get really, really dangerous with the speeds of this nature. I just thought, like, you know, it's windy, but it's really much windier than I thought. I had a hat on, <laughs> and it took it right off, and uh, we've been spending a bit of time trying to find it. It just picked it up and carried it. Now, a similar situation over in Vancouver, of course, but the park board there actually closed down the seawall between Third Beach and Lionsgate Bridge. Still, a lot of people venturing out to check out this storm for themselves, ignoring those closures. One thing that didn't close, though, surprisingly, BC ferries. No cancellations on any of those routes, and it's expected to stay that way going forward. So good news if you might have to make a trip. Again, we are expected to see these winds let up overnight tonight, but come tomorrow morning, we're in for a major cleanup. Chris? Sounds like it. Okay, thanks very much, Kylie. Kylie Stanton in Victoria.
A Vancouver Island couple mysteriously vanishes on a fishing trip. They were last seen heading out for adventure on Remembrance Day. What they were doing when they disappeared and the latest on the search in just over a minute. Surging COVID cases in the United States and worries about runaway infection, even with a new administration set to take over. That's coming up later on the news hour. Right now, though, there is concern for a young couple who disappeared in a remote area outside of Nanaimo. Their plan was to spend Wednesday fishing, but they never made it back. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, search and rescue crews are now focusing on finding their vehicle, which might lead them in the right direction. It's day two of a massive search effort west of Nanaimo. 32-year-old Cody Martin and 29-year-old Tamara Sandalak have been missing since Wednesday when they failed to return home from a day of fishing in the Nanaimo Lakes area. Now, after several days of snow, conditions have deteriorated, making the search and rescue effort more challenging. We have approximately 50 members in the field currently either in 4x4 vehicles or on our in all-terrain vehicles, searching logging roads, branches, um, points of interest, lakes, etc. for places they may be. An RCMP helicopter is assisting with the effort, along with two fixed-wing aircraft. At Cobb's Bread, where Tamara Sandalak works as a baker, her boss is worried. This is out of character for Tamara. Tried ca calling her a couple times to no, not get her. Cody Martin and Tamara Sandalak are both avid outdoors people. They have vast knowledge of this area. They, by all accounts, are well prepared, um, know the area extremely well, and know how to uh, take care of themselves out here in this kind of weather and terrain. Also missing, their burgundy-colored Dodge Ram pickup. If you see it, call police. A massive search is planned for Saturday. As many as 100 volunteers from various search and rescue teams are expected to help look for the missing couple. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Vancouver police say their new initiative to tackle downtown street disorder is seeing results, responding to hundreds of complaints in just 11 days since officers were redeployed. And as Ramina Dea reports, businesses in the hardest hit areas hope the team will make a dent in local crime. The Malhi family business on Granville Street, struggling to survive. First COVID, now crime. We are very fearful. Ongoing safety concerns, not only for Kieran and her family, but also customers and staff. He was charging our, us and our staff with one of the uh, cream bottle. He picked it up from, the, from there and then he was trying to hit us. Threats, stolen property, needles, each time police are called, but response dependent on call volume and urgency. The only thing we can call police, right? And police is already dealing with other, other similar challenges. Disturbances, trespassing, street disorder. These low-level problems sometimes take hours before police can respond. The VPD trying to deal with it with a new neighborhood response team, which launched November 2nd. Since the initiative began, officers have responded to over 300 calls for service. 300 calls resulting in 34 weapons seized and multiple arrests. All these lower level calls eventually do add up. 
um, and it becomes a problem, and, and it's becoming a problem in the city, especially in these neighborhoods like Strathcona, um, along Granville Street and Yale Town. The new police initiative sounds promising, say the Malhees, but will it make a difference? I hope it works, works out and they can come there sooner and take charge. Romina Dea, Global News. Police are also investigating the violent, unprovoked robbery of a school janitor at Gladstone Secondary School in South Vancouver. It happened at 5.20 p.m. on Tuesday as the 38-year-old school custodian parked his car in front of the school. Police say two men approached him, demanded he give them his backpack, and when he refused, one of the suspects hit him on the top of his head with a baton. The victim was treated by paramedics for bleeding. Up next, bombshell testimony about money laundering at BC casinos. Five or ten people are not going to take on organized crime to the magnitude that was happening at the River Rock. More from the investigator who warned it was getting out of control. Also, a young illustrator gets his dream job, why Marvel Comics came calling. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is moving well in both directions. Keep in mind, overnight maintenance has you down to a single lane between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. There's been days of it, but tonight's still more shocking testimony at the inquiry into money laundering in B.C., once again focusing on the province's casinos. A former investigator says stopping the flow of huge sums of suspicious cash would have been pretty simple, but no one seemed very interested. They should have orchestrated something to prevent that money from coming in, or at least say, where did you get the money? Two simple ways to cut off suspected money laundering right at the casino cash cage. This could have been remedied through an easy regulatory change or direction. Larry Vandergraaff, who led the investigations unit of BC's gaming regulator, fought for suspicious cash limits and source of fund declarations over the span of five years. Any one of those at a specific time would have been promoted by us to nauseam almost. But in cross-examination at the Cullen Commission, it was argued perhaps Vandergraaff was just ahead of his time. This was on TV consistently, 18 feet of money coming into the, into the casino and $20 bills. You better catch up pretty quick. Vandergraaff said a clear directive could have come from the province at the time that ministerial guidance fell to one man. And it appeared that norm, we would go where Mr. Coleman went. If Mr. Coleman was in the housing and social development or mines and energies and resources, we would go there with gaming. Vandergraaff said his calls for decisive action were also not supported by his superiors. It wasn't good enough to believe me or believe anybody else in GPEB. We had to go outside to get somebody else to come in. But Vandergraaff told the commission when that independent author submitted recommendations, including source of funds, he was directed to taper his language. And what Malish come back and said was, source of funds is helpful. It's very helpful. I said, source of funds is mandatory. Jerome Malish would later be hired by Peter German to help conduct interviews for the province's 2018 report, which found casinos were unwittingly used as laundromats for dirty money. That's correct. During his time with the gaming regulator, Vandergraaff would never see his proposed measures implemented. He was terminated in 2014. Perhaps being ahead of the times was not enough to save his job back then. John Hua, Global News.
Good evening. Traffic is steady north and south over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but where there is still a delay is eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $29 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. Well, the surging pandemic is going to be the number one issue for Joe Biden when he walks into the White House in January. Between now and then, the U.S. response remains in the hands of Donald Trump, who today threatened to withhold the vaccine, if it's available, from one of the country's most populous states. President Trump in the Rose Garden tonight addressing Americans for the first time since the race was called for President-elect Joe Biden, stopping himself just before any acknowledgement of the next administration. I will not go. This administration will not be going to a lockdown. Hopefully the the uh, whatever happens in the future, who knows which administration it will be. I guess time will tell. But uh, I can tell you this administration will not go to a lockdown. Without specifically referencing the record number of COVID cases nationwide, the president's predicting as soon as April, a COVID vaccine will be available to everyone except New Yorkers, led by Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo. He doesn't trust the fact that it's this White House, this administration, so we won't be delivering it to New York until we have authorization to do so, and that pains me to say that. That's after Cuomo said New York will do its own independent vaccine review, separate from the federal government's. The governor, late today. An overwhelming percentage of Americans are worried about political interference. He has issues with New York, and he likes to point to New York, but uh, this is his issue. It's his credibility issue. The pandemic hitting close to home at the White House, with some 130 Secret Service officers now infected or quarantining because of a close contact, according to the Washington Post a spread that's believed to be partly linked to a series of campaign rallies held by the president before Election Day. In health matters tonight, papers have been filed in Canada's multi-billion dollar U.S. class action against the drug maker accused of fueling the opioid crisis. B.C. is leading the Canadian charge against Purdue Pharma to recoup staggering losses from the opioid crisis. But as Nadia Stewart reports, plaintiffs have a long road ahead. It could be years before Canadian provinces see any of the $67 billion they're suing Purdue Pharma for. The U.S.-based drug maker is the company behind OxyContin facing a mountain of lawsuits. It is a long and complicated road. I think the view is this crisis needs resources. Uh, if we can establish that the wrongdoing of these companies led to the crisis, uh, whatever we can recover from them, are, are resources that can be used to address the crisis. The province of BC is going after dozens of big pharma companies by way of class action lawsuits, alleging they falsely marketed the drugs, making them seem less addictive than they actually were. The allegations in the lawsuit that I'm class counsel in are that the companies um, overstated the benefits and understated the risks of opioids. And the, the primary understated risk is the risk of addiction. This is the allegation leveled against Purdue Pharma. They recently pled guilty in a U.S. court for violating federal anti-kickback laws as doctors were paid to write more opioid prescriptions. They've agreed to pay $8 billion and close down the company. I think that Big Pharma, Purdue in particular, has huge responsibility in the fact that 
they committed crimes. They Leslie McBain, co-founder of Mom Stop the Harm, lost her son to an opioid addiction. An injury led him to seek out pain relief from his family doctor, who prescribed oxycodone until the drug became something he could not live without. Even though only about 10% of people who use opioids in a medical setting for pain relief become addicted. It doesn't sound like much, but when you translate that into how many people actually were prescribed uh, oxycodone, oxycontin, it's hundreds of thousands of people across North America. She and others know it will take years, if not decades, before this legal pursuit comes to some kind of resolution. But make no mistake. If we prove they did something wrong, we're going after them forever. Nadia Stork, Global News. Quick program note for you. Tomorrow we launch the second of our Global News 980 CKNW Leadership Series in partnership with Fortis BC. This weekend, our featured leader is Meninder Dhaliwal, president and CEO of Lionsgate International. If person helped you out, you should help between three to six people, and that's when your debt is done. Meninder shares an inspiring story about how leadership and success should be shared with others. Tune in on Saturday morning at 11.30 and on Sunday at 10.30 for that. Up next, Marvel Comics recruits some bright new cha- uh, talent from Canada. This is what you work towards your whole life when you're on this path. What makes this illustrator's story so special later? Also tonight, satellite debris. A First Nations illustrator from Edmonton is getting a chance to showcase his work to the world after he got a surprise call from Marvel Comics. As reporter Morgan Black shows us, he hopes it inspires other First Nations artists too. For 10 days straight, comic book illustrator Kyle Charles worked on the project of a lifetime. This is what you work towards your whole life when you're on this path, so it was a joy. Charles had been called to the big leagues of comic books, Marvel. Usually you have to really fight to get into Marvel and you've got like a lot to prove, but for them to come to me, it was just like, wow, you know, um, it was unexpected. And uh, everybody was just over the moon. He, along with other Indigenous illustrators, writers, and colorists, was recruited for Marvel Comics' new anthology, Indigenous Voices. It's putting us in you know, the spotlight and letting us tell our own stories. And uh, I think that's incredibly important. The longtime illustrator worked hard to fit the project into an already busy schedule. Charles will soon launch his own studio at a local comic book store to help inspire the next generation of Indigenous creators. Being able to tell them, like, hey, like, I've done it. I've come from a you know, poverty background, inner city, and I worked my butt off and I got here. You get a little uh, uh, blown away by his talent and his work ethic. While the rest of the world will get the comic with one cover, Charles created a special edition for Vincent Joyal's store. He says Marvel liked what they saw. Marvel is pretty darn impressed with Kyle. I won't be uh, surprised at all if he gets more work very quickly in the future. Charles says he hopes more Indigenous artists will soon be getting that same call. I just hope that everybody who wants to break in can break in and we start inspiring some young voices. Morgan Black, Global News. Amazing story. Good for him. All right, our weather superhero, Christy Gordon, is here now with a look at uh, the weather as we head into the weekend. And yeah, we got through some wind today. 
Oh, we sure did. So gusts off the coast of Victoria up to 90 kilometers an hour for us, 60 kilometer an hour. Uh, by the way, it's Friday the 13th, so maybe that we've had everything today. Heavy rain last night, some areas in excess of 20 millimeters, but it cleared out and left us with these windy conditions. And let's have a look at a risk of thunderstorms tonight. Now, the bulk of the action is south of the border, but just in the last little bit, I've had reports of a thunderstorm near the Abbotsford region. If you hear thunder, make sure you head indoors to keep yourself safe. Keeps yourself safe from COVID and from lightning, I suppose. Uh, so there still is that risk this evening, but overall, uh, things are going to ease off. We still do have a chance of showers tomorrow, but let's talk about snow, shall we? Some parts of the interior have had in excess of 30 centimeters of snow, and that's even for lower elevations. So thank you to everyone who shared your photos. Uh, you will be able to get outside and enjoy a little bit of that snow. Make a snowman if you can. You've got some sunshine on the way. Mountainous regions, especially the Coquihalla, still expect Expecting some snow tomorrow morning. Be safe, be calm, and make a snowman tomorrow. Why don't you? Uh, so these are the warnings that are still in place. In particular, I want to point out the Coquihalla because we'll see snow in that region right through the morning hours, whereas a lot of these other regions will see it ease in the morning hours. If you're traveling the Coquihalla, tomorrow afternoon is a much better time um, because we actually are going to see another wave of snow in your region by Saturday night. So this is tomorrow morning. There's the Coquihalla still expecting snow in the afternoon afternoon though a big break but then another wave pushes on shore so for our region we're right back into rain tomorrow afternoon enjoy the sunny breaks tomorrow morning because it is going to get wet and we're expecting snow on the local mountains and snow up on the uh, mountain passes as well so this is the little break that I was telling you about you can get out and make that snowman enjoy the sunshine as the snow will push back in by uh, Saturday night for you and for our region Saturday night is certainly going to be wet Sunday it's not going to be a soaker but still shower hours in the forecast. And I will leave you with our central windows weather window, which is another shot of the snow and uh, Warren Lowe sending us out from Green Lake. Little, little hockey player there. Hockey player. Love it. Okay, thanks, Christy. Let's check in with Squire now and a look ahead to sports. Squire? Well, since it's uh, Masters Week, I thought we'd talk about this. Most businesses are suffering through the pandemic, but golf is one that is thriving, at least in terms of people playing golf. Year to date, uh, our rounds are up about 50%. We'll talk about how the game has continued through COVID. Also tonight, coming up, of course, satellite debris. And why, really? I didn't. Uh, I didn't get the memo about no tie Friday. You should know by now. Squire did. I should know by now. No, no you know tie I could never I buy. know it's okay if you're just doing five minutes with no tie, but you got to do 55 minutes with <laughs> no tie. That's unacceptable. Uh, Vancouver and Vernon's Vashik Pospisil. He will answer to both. Has a chance tomorrow to do something he's never done. That's win an ATP singles title. Now he has won doubles titles, Wimbledon 2014, but never a singles title at this level, the highest level there is. But he is in the final of the Sofia Open after coming back to win his semifinal today against Richard Gasquet. Let's check it out, shall we? Let's watch a local boy make good. This is a nice point by Pospisil. That's it, good speed, stay there. This is doubles training coming through. 
And then a nice cross court here. He lost the first set, probably should have won the first set, but lost the first set and then won the last 11 games of the third set and finishes it with an ace. He'll play uh, Yannick Sinner of Italy tomorrow. Well, to Augusta we go where they had to finish round one and then start round two. Tiger Woods, minus four after round one. He hasn't finished his second round, almost put that one in. He's still at four under after 10 holes in the second round. Dustin Johnson, this is on the uh, par 3 16th. He's nine under after two rounds. There's a log jam on top of the leaderboard of five. Justin Thomas also at minus nine. Justin Thomas has been a little up and down. This is very nice. How about Phil? Won a couple of times in the seniors tour this year. Now against the not-so-seniors, he's five under after two rounds. Rory McIlroy had a rough first round. That's so bad. Yes, it is so bad. It's a splash on the 16th, but had a very good second round. Now he's at three under par. Bryson DeChambeau, on this hole, he took a seven, a triple bogey on the third, lost the ball off the tee, then had the re-tee, and then does this. He is uh, one over after 12 on his second round. How about an Abbotsford kid, Nick Taylor, on the 11th? But you still have to be very precise, and that is... Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, wow. That'll get Ledgeview cheering. Okay, so a lot of players at 9 under par. Uh, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, the biggest names. There you see Rom, Taylor Even, Mike Weir, and Adam Hadwin still have work to do starting tomorrow to finish off the second round. Even is the cut line right now. If you're a regular golfer, you may have noticed something. Since the pandemic started, there seems to be a lot more golfers than ever before, all trying to get a tee time, and that requires patience and good timing. There are a lot of reasons why, like it's outside rather than inside, so you can do it relatively safely. And a lot of golfers would take trips to Washington State. Well, they can't do that now, so they have to play locally. It's been a year like no other, we all know that, but especially for the local golf industry. Just because it's mid-November and it's five Celsius doesn't mean golf demand has cooled. Many courses are still seeing dramatic increases in business after a record-breaking summer where tee sheets were jammed from sunrise to sunset. Maybe that's why a little British Open type weather isn't keeping people away today. Because it has been so difficult to get a tea time, those people that would stay home because there's a few drops of rain um, aren't discouraged as easily. And it's been only sunny days for businesses in golf equipment and services. Oof, uh, I would say double compared to last year. Bill Chen owns Titan Golf in Surrey, part of a facility that includes a driving range that's helped bring in all sorts of new customers. A lot of newcomers, for sure, coming into the golf industry or the golf game, but uh, they're all very into golf. So if they come here, they're looking for the full service, you know, fitting, get the right clubs. Jam tee sheets didn't necessarily mean huge profits for all golf courses. Many of them depend heavily on wedding and tournament banquets for their biggest source of revenue. But that was virtually non-existent this year. For food and beverage, we're going to be off like 90 Seven percent, right? Because we just we didn't do food and beverage. But in the big picture, there's an opportunity to make sure all of those people who came back to golf because of the pandemic 
keep playing once things return to some sense of normalcy. There's an opportunity for the game of golf to retain that attraction. We just have to make sure we're making it a, a welcoming a welcoming and enjoyable atmosphere when people come here, that it's they want to come back. I said five players tied for the lead at the Masters, four. I miscounted. Uh, the Miami Marlins have hired Kim Ng as their new general manager, the first woman GM in Major League Baseball history. Now, she's been around the game since the early 90s, and she also was an assistant GM with the Yankees and the Dodgers. I think she has three World Series rings. She also worked in the Major League head office and has been in the running for other GM jobs, but she finally has one with the Marlins. Good for her. Knocked one right over that glass ceiling. A home run. All right, here's Andrew with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Dan? Thanks, Chris. We'll have more tonight on the tragic story of an Abbotsford mother who gave birth this week while on a ventilator with COVID-19. Plus, why an emergency response team was called to a Richmond neighborhood in the 8200 block of Bocock Road earlier today. And more on the aftermath of that big windstorm that hit the south coast today where hundreds of hydro customers are still without power. Those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? Another shipwreck at Sunset Beach there it looks like okay we're going to be back in just a moment with satellite debris stay with us thanks Sam. it's friday we all know what that means it's beginning to look a lot like christmas mm-hmm. that's right that's At right. We're getting into that. On satellite uh-huh. debris, yes, mm-hmm. because uh, as we said in the UK, lots of Christmas commercials. So we're going to start with one featuring Wallace and Gromit. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more strength and we'll beat our record. (laughs) (laughs) Another happy customer. On to the next one, eh, lad? Lad? Wishing everyone a comfortable Christmas. (laughs) DFS. Love Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> okay, so, so not to be outdone mm-hmm. um, for all these Christmas commercials, Coca-Cola, and I have to say, these people invested big money in this. There's a lot of production value in this Christmas epic from uh, Coca-Cola. Here we go.
confused there for a second, but now I get it. <laughs> he, was, he was going away to work. Yeah. And the wish was that he make it back for Christmas. Because he was on an oil rig, right? Right. In and the ocean. Santa made and it happen. Santa made it happen. Yeah. And who knew that Santa knows how to drive a rig? Mm-hmm. Didn't so, know that. Slay, Santa can yes. do everything. That's right. He can. Santa can do everything mm-hmm. because he's real. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget. And he's magical. And magical. And he has a class five license. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Is that what you let, need? I think so. I think it's class five. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's check in on Christy f- for the last word on weather here. It's not wintry really quite yet. Not here, although it has certainly been cold. It'll get a little warmer this weekend, but still expect rain by tomorrow afternoon. Enjoy a little bit of sunshine tomorrow. All right. Thank you. And happy Diwali, everyone. Please do it safely. As we've been asked, have a great weekend.